We're back in the book of Ruth. Back in the book of Ruth. And what we've discovered is that Ruth is much more than just a love story, although it is that. It is much more than just a love story. It is about the God who is working through dark days. We spent a good bit of time in chapter one last time in some very dark days. Famine, uh, funerals, and all of that. Difficulty through suffering and sorrow. But how God works through dark days for our highest good and for his greatest glory. That's what we're seeing in the book of Ruth on the big picture. Somebody asked me this week, you know, why, why the book of Ruth uh, at Advent? We're talking about Christmas. You know, this should be about Christ coming. Why are we in the Old Testament talking about the book of Ruth? And I would tell you, well, we're, we're actually doing the backstory of Bethlehem. If you haven't noticed, this, uh, this whole book takes place pretty much in the city of Bethlehem. But it is the return to Bethlehem. And... Uh, when we get to um, week four and then on Christmas Day, I'll, I'll explain a little more about why Ruth connects and ties in with the coming of Jesus. Uh, but I'm very excited to share with you this morning about Christ as our refuge. You know, in Ruth chapter two, we're going to begin to see the, the story unfolding where um, Naomi and Ruth find refuge in a Redeemer. So we began Advent series last week, and uh, many of you are reading along in the, in the daily devotion, and that's pretty awesome. I love seeing your comments, very encouraging uh, to me to see you guys really processing through the scriptures. That's, uh, that's awesome. It's how we connect during the week. I love it. Um, I believe that the Lord has so much for us in this little book, and he is revealing himself to us today as our merciful redeemer. Merciful Redeemer. Um, uh, last time, as we noted, we looked through Ruth chapter 1, and uh, we noted the story opens with trouble and tragedy. God had sent a famine uh, to cause his people to turn back to him. But rather than repent, Naomi and her family, Elimelech and, and the others, they, they ran from God into an idolatrous country called Moab. Um, and Moab was a forbidden land. There's a whole lot we could talk about there, but just so you know, it's, it's, it's a land God said, don't go there and, and don't intermarry with them. He had already told them all of those things, and yet that's exactly what Elimelech and his sons did. And they tried to settle in Moab. Um, his two sons, they married, and then for 10 years, they had no children. And then after Elimelech died, uh, Naomi's two sons also died. What we found in chapter one is that Naomi was left childless and a widow uh, in the wake of following the lead of faithless men. So these were painful days, painful days for Naomi, painful days for Ruth. Naomi even said that God's hand was against her. Now C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you're familiar with him and his writings, but he would call this kind of thing the severe mercies of God. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? The severe mercies of God. What he means by that is that, that God's harsh hand of discipline is still mercy, calling us to repent and turn to him. I hope you know that hardship is so much less than we deserve. Do you know that? Like difficulty in life is so much less than we deserve. And so God's severe mercy is, is like a surgeon's scalpel. Painful and yet healing. So Naomi heard from the Lord. Or she heard that the Lord had provided food back in Bethlehem. She decides to make the journey back. And uh, she and her daughters are on the way, her daughters-in-law. And they begin having a conversation. And Naomi tells them they should go back. Go back to Moab. Go back to your country and your people. Um, uh, there's some seats on the front if y'all don't mind that you can come on down. Uh, that felt like the price is right. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but Naomi turns to her daughters-in-law and tells them, you guys should go back. There will be more prospects for you. Uh, if you go back, you'll be able to get married. You can go back to your parents' home. You can, you can live there and settle there, and it'll be a better life for you. 
And Orpah decides that's true. So she decides to bail and go back home to Moab. Ruth, on the other hand, the Bible says she clings to Naomi. And she says, uh, your people will be my people. Where you go, I'll go. And your God will be my God. And this is a moment where uh, Ruth actually makes known that um, not just a, a profession of commitment to Naomi, but of conversion to God. So as they become, uh, come back into Bethlehem, um, they really come back in with two primary uh, needs. One big question they have, obviously, is how are we going to live? So what, what are we going to eat? How, how do we live? And that's the first and most basic need. But then a, a secondary need that's more long term, the book has kind of been alluding to, is how will we live on? All right, so we need food and we need family. And those are the two primary needs that they have as they come back into Bethlehem. And chapter one ends with that it's the time of a barley harvest. So as it, the chapter began with famine, it finished with harvest. And we have this glimmer of hope that things are beginning to change. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter two. So now that you've settled in, why don't you stand with me as we honor God's word and read from Ruth chapter two. Pick up the last verse of chapter one. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. Before Now the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. Eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And she came and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also pull out some, some grain from the bundles for her and leave it 
for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then, uh, then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, you are so kind to us. We are undeserving of your kindness. And we thank you, Lord, that you work in history like Ruth in such beautifully providential ways so as to reveal what kind of God you are. May all here today, Lord, take refuge under the wings of such a benevolent Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, things are starting to get exciting in the book of Ruth, right? I hope you see the change in Naomi's voice, even though uh, it sounded like Darth Vader reading the whole chapter. Um, I hope you see the change in her excitement from beginning of the chapter. You know, Ruth says, let me go out and glean. And she says, go on. You know, she's very sad and sorrowful and and bitter, if you will, about the, the cards that life has dealt her. By the end of the chapter, her, her tone has shifted, right? She's like, where have you worked today? Like, whose field have you been working in? And she says, Boaz. And Naomi just lights up. Uh, and so there's a much more positive tone. There's, it's hope. Hope is alive. In just a few short verses time, in chapter one, we walked through over a decade of disobedience and difficulty, sorrow and pain on a level that many of us will never understand. I mean, you're talking about the loss of a husband, a loss of two sons, a sense of total aloneness, right? Naomi said, I, I went away full and I've come back empty. This is how she feels at the beginning of chapter one. But now the writer is brilliantly introducing a tone of hope. Um, if this were a, a play, a, a musical, if you will, the, the music would have shifted at this point. It's kind of a lighter, brighter sound. Uh, things, are, things are changing. Verse 1 of chapter 2, the, the narrator comes out and introduces to us a new character. A character that we're going to meet uh, in this chapter whose name is Boaz, right? What do we know about Boaz? Well, from the very first verse, we're told something about Boaz that's really, really important. He's of the clan of who? Elimelech. Who was that? Naomi's husband, who's now deceased, right? Now, why does this matter? Um, Well, it's going to take a little bit of unpacking for us, um, which we'll do in just a moment. But um, Naomi and Ruth have uh, unpacked their bags. They're settled into Bethlehem. Uh, Ruth respectfully asked permission to go. I, I hope you see that. She's honoring Naomi. She says, may I please go? And she's respectfully asking permission to go. And then she's gleaning. Um, let me explain a little bit about what gleaning is. Um, this is God's prescription for um, 
caring for the poor and the needy. Uh, the landowners in this time, in Israel especially, were, were forbidden to harvest all of the grain, all of their crops. They had to leave some along the perimeter, in the corners and along the edges. They had to leave it there so that the poor and the needy could come through and harvest the grain themselves. This was God's provision. Uh, our God is compassionate. He cares about the lowly, and so he provides for them in this way. He cares about the physical needs of every person. So God structured the laws of the land so that uh, the landowner wasn't allowed to harvest all the perimeter. Even if he was harvesting and they dropped something, they weren't allowed to pick it up. They had to leave it so that the, the poor could come through. So when we talk about gleaning, that's what Ruth is doing. She's going into the field to glean along the perimeter and just pick up what's been left behind, the scraps. So Ruth says, let me go and glean in the field. Perhaps I'll find favor. That's an interesting expression because that's exactly what happens. Then in verses 3 and 4, we get this, uh, this little phrase. Did you see it? I think the writer is intentional here when uh, in verse 3. It says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and it just so happened, or she just so happened to, to end up in the field belonging to Boaz. Do you see that little phrase, just so happened? That phrase is in there to, to, uh, to sort of be a plug for us that uh, these things don't just happen, Right? She's just so happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. And then this other little plug, who happens to be of the clan of Elimelech. Now, now here's where I wanted to explain this. Um, the societal structure for this day and age was like this. The, the family... Uh, was meant to take care of itself, right? The, the husband takes care of the wife and the two of them take care of their children. We still operate like that, right? But in the event that um, the, the husband dies and the wife is left as a widow, then her sons have the responsibility to care for her. Now, in the event of Naomi's circumstances where the husband has passed away and so have the sons, the societal structure God had it set up in his laws to where the family is now under the umbrella of what's called a clan. And a clan, in this case, is the clan of Elimelech. So he's sort of the, the father over this whole network of children, if you will, families, are under his umbrella. And up beyond that would be the tribe, right, the, of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have families, clan, and tribes. And the way that God set it up was such that if, if a husband died and the sons died, then those widows were cared for by the clan. And he set it up with what, something called the Leverite Law, which is where someone of the, of the clan could step in as a redeemer and pay the debts, purchase the land, and even marry the widow to give her sons, to give her children, to continue on the lineage. So this was established by God to, to care for uh, those within families who are needy. So this is an interesting setup. So the words just so happened are here in verse three. Intentionally, the writer is writing this way so that we know that God has set this thing up, right? It's not just happenstance. It's not just coincidence. This is a significant detail because Boaz is actually a qualified redeemer. Does this make sense? Like he's of the clan of Elimelech and she just so happens to come into his field. She just so happens to wander into his field to glean for the day. And he's of the clan that is qualified to redeem her. So the writer says, opens the, the phrase with something like, as luck would have it, or it just so happened, to make it obvious that God is providentially caring for his people here. Providence. Do we know, do we know what, we, what I mean when I say the word providence? You guys know what I mean? Um, so let's think about providence versus miracles for a second. We're familiar with miracles, right? What, uh, I won't ask you, but think, what is a miracle? Uh, a miracle is when, uh, when the 
Laws of nature are bent to accomplish a, a divine purpose for good, right? Um, so when, when the laws of nature are bent, so um, for example, the Lord caused it to rain so much that it flooded the whole earth and killed everything except for eight people and the animals inside the ark, right? Miracle, right? On another occasion, God shut up the heavens for three years and it never rained. Again, miracle. On another occasion, God parted the waters of the Red Sea and allowed all the people of Israel to walk through on dry ground, right? Miracle. Okay, these are miracles. God's bending the rules of nature to accomplish a divine good purpose. And then there's this other aspect of the way that God works that we would call his providence, which is not where God bends nature, but it's where he uses everyday life to accomplish his will. God also works powerfully through the natural course of events. And in this case, the writer is pointing us to that reality when he says, it just, she just so happened to come into the field of Boaz. Now, all of this is important. Maybe you're like, okay, why? Why does this matter so much? And here's where I want to tell you the a first main truth that we should see from this chapter is this. There are no coincidences in God's world. There are no coincidences in God's world. The kindness of God's providence is a pillow that you can rest your head on when life is filled with sleepless nightmares. So, so listen, Ruth and Naomi have been in very, very dark days and we're at a, we're at a pivoting point right here. Right? And, and here's where it happens. It just so happened that Ruth wanders into Boaz's field. And what we see is that God is providentially caring for Ruth. In dark days, you can remind your heart God is working. I love the song we sang this morning. Even when I don't see it, He's working. And it's so true. In Matthew 13, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. This is an interesting parable. It's just one verse. But he says it's like leaven that you would put into a lump. You don't see it working. But you leave the lump and then you come back and the whole lump is leavened. The point Jesus is making here is that you can't always see what God is up to. He's doing things that you will never know. And yet, he's working providentially to accomplish his good will. So the Lord is providentially at work. There are no coincidences in God's world. Now, on the flip side, we don't mean... Um, determinism. We don't mean fatalism. I'm not saying that we are robots or puppets dancing along at the, at the will of a puppeteer. That's not what life is. Obviously, the story is filled with choices, real human choices. It would present to us both realities that God is both sovereign and that man is responsible, right? So uh, Orpah made a choice to turn back to Moab. That was her choice. Ruth made a choice to cling to uh, Naomi. That was her choice. Both of these are, are true realities, and we must hold to both of them. Now, how they work perfectly, I don't know. I don't understand, right? This is um, things that only God understands, but we hold to both because they're both in the Scriptures. So we don't understand all that's going on here, but we would have to affirm That one thing God is doing is he's setting up the most incredible blind date we've ever seen, right? Um, Ruth has no idea what's about to hit her. She's walked into a field to glean and and hopefully care for her mother-in-law. And unbeknownst to her, God is setting up an encounter with a man named Boaz. The writer actually goes on to give us clues in the same regard uh, when he says, And behold, 
That would, behold, Boaz, about that time Boaz came in from Bethlehem. That's the next verse, right? And behold, essentially what he's saying, wouldn't you know it? Or, well, would you look at that? Boaz wanders in right about that time. So God is setting this up. I mean, it's, it's like di- the divine hallmark almost. Like a, there's a moment happening here. Um, uh, Boaz walks in in his plaid shirt. And Ruth is, Ruth is picking up the grain in the field and they bump into one another and she drops her grain. The music plays. And as they bend, their eyes catch. This is the moment that, right, if Hallmark were writing it, this would be the, the way it would go. So here we meet Boaz. And the writer of Ruth is careful to give us some clues as to what kind of man he is. And um, I will say he is very Hallmark-ish. That's what I meant to say. Hallmark-esque. Um, as we meet Boaz, he, he comes into the field with all of his employees. And he says, uh, um, the Lord be with you. Now, I, I've had a lot of bosses in my day. And um, Jeff, I don't know if you walk on the uh, out in the in the warehouse where you work as the boss and you walk out and you say, the Lord be with you. (laughs) It hadn't happened yet. Okay, okay. well, um, it it never happened to me before um, uh, under a boss, but this would be an ideal kind of a boss, a landowner that comes into his his workers and says, the Lord be with you. And, And if this were just words, if it were just flippant words. Um, the writer wouldn't have given us a whole verse, right, to recognize this. And his employer, employees would not have responded the way they responded, right? They would have been like, oh, go, go blow smoke, you know, whatever. But they respond, the Lord bless you, right? This gives us some clues as to what kind of man Boaz is. He's a, a man of true kindness. He honors those who are under him. He speaks in a way that lifts them up, that makes much of the lowly. He blesses them publicly, calling for the presence of Yahweh. This is a big deal. He would not have used the Lord's name in vain. This is a big deal. He's calling for the presence of Yahweh to be with his employees. This is huge. And you get the impression that this is a regular interaction between them. It's the way he cares for his people, right? They had been the recipient of his kind-hearted leadership for quite some time. And so they want to bless him back. The Lord bless you, Boaz. There's a lot here for us. We could spend some time on this, but... I think the biggest moments begin to unfold right here. Pointing to Ruth, Boaz asks, he asks a question. Did you notice specifically what he says? Whose young woman is this? Now notice he doesn't say, who is that? He says, whose young woman is this? That's interesting. Probably points out at least two things. that There might be potentially some romantic interest. You know, does she belong to somebody? You know? Um, that's going to unfold. So that's potentially there. And then secondly, probably more reasonable. She's gleaning in the field, which means she's poor. She's needy. She is there to work and provide for for needs. And um, so maybe he's asking under whose care does is this woman? Is she a widow? Whose clan, whose family is she a part of? Who's responsible for this woman? Who's caring for her needs? Again, we're given clues as to what kind of man Boaz is. And by the way, we, we notice here that Boaz actually notices who's in his field and he recognizes a newcomer. So he's that involved with his employees, the, the reapers of his field, that he, he's quick to know that there's a new person here. I don't know this woman and I care enough to know who she is and who she is. Again, Boaz's compassion at heart is revealed. Well, after his man, his, his uh, foreman there, fills him in on the details of who Ruth is, 
Boaz strikes up a conversation with her. He starts out, listen, my daughter. Words of familial endearment. I love this. He's, um, this is probably not the best pickup line you've ever heard, but at least it's, it's, it's caring, right? It's uh, genuine. He says, listen, my daughter. He, he calls her daughter. He, he presses in. He lists all the ways that he wants to care for her. And she's blown away by this. Like she is being welcomed in. She, she's told to stay close to the other women. Don't go in any other field. You'll get all that you need here. She's given a place to belong. He's told the other men to keep their mitts off of her. Right. I mean. He's saying, you're going to be safe here. I'm going to provide for you here. He's promising that she'll get all that she needs if she'll just stay close and stay with him. Boaz is saying to her, no one will provide like I'll provide for you. And that ultimately proves to be true, doesn't it? And it's here that we see, secondly, a second big truth about the Lord from this text is there is wonderful refuge under the care of the Lord. Wonderful refuge. Ruth falls to her face amazed at Boaz's kindness. And she wants to be she wants to know why he's being so kind to her. And uh, here we're given we're given some clues as to Boaz's character that um, uh, are meant to point us to someone better, a better master. He, he says to her, I know all that you've been through, that you've left home, and I know what you're doing for your mother-in-law, Naomi. I know all about that. But you have found refuge. And Boaz doesn't say to her here, you found refuge, refuge under my care. He actually points her to a, who's really providing the refuge. He says, you've found refuge under the wings of the Lord. You've come to the Lord and it's under his wings that you've found refuge. Did you, if you write in your Bible, I encourage you to underline that or circle that expression. Under the wings of the Lord, you've found refuge. In verse 12. Boaz is a godly man. But from a New Testament perspective, he's actually pointing us to a greater redeemer, the God-man Jesus Christ. Jesus is um, the, the ultimate man of Bethlehem, right? Under whose care and in whose field we find all that we need. Jesus is the true and better Boaz. Um, I just can't stop with true and better. I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't quit. It's just there, right? But that's this story of Boaz is pointing us to an, an ultimate greater redeemer, a greater refuge that we find in Christ. In Philippians four, verse 19, um, Paul reminds us this. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All of our needs are supplied for us in who? In Christ Jesus, he is our refuge. This refuge that we find in the Lord is wonderful. It's abundant. Think about um, when, when Ruth left Naomi in the morning, she said, I, I'm hoping that I'll find favor. Maybe someone will let me glean in her field. And by the end of the day, she's coming home with um, a to-go box of leftovers from dinner and a sack full of, of grains, like 30 pounds of grain. And if you if you read the details, here's what you know. Like she's coming home with with more than two weeks worth of what an employee would have made on a two week paycheck. In one day, this woman is coming home with a to go box for mom in law and a sack full of food for weeks. This refuge is wonderful. There's nothing like this refuge. It's abundant as we see through the rest of the chapter. Ruth was asked to join in a meal in the break room, right? Um, Boaz says, you know, come on up here and sit with us. Come sit with the guys and 
um, take, take some of this bread and dip it in the wine and enjoy a meal with us. Now think about this for a moment. This is, this is scandalous kind of grace, isn't it? To welcome a woman up to the table with the reapers. Like she's a gleaner, not a reaper. But he says, you come sit up here with the reapers. And a woman, not just a woman, but a widowed woman. Not just a widowed woman, but a widowed woman of Moab. And he says, you come sit up here with us. Eat with us. Be with us. Scandalous grace. When she goes back to work, Boaz tells his men, I want you to bless her even more. I want you to leave extra grain. Whatever, some of what you've harvested, I want you to throw it out for her. Wherever she's picking it up, you toss it out. Don't let her see you do it and don't rebuke her. I want you to bless her. The Lord wants to bless her. There are abundant blessings under the wings of the Lord. Now listen, what does the Bible say in John 10 about Jesus? Jesus came and he said, I've come that they may have life and have it what? More abundantly. In the refuge of Christ, we're not just given life, we're given life more abundant. The Lord wants to bless Ruth and it's this extravagant kindness of God. It's above and beyond what she could have ever expected. And we, I need to take just a moment here. Because as we remember, Orpah chose to go back to Moab because the grass looked greener, right? Ruth clung to Naomi even though the journey in Bethlehem looked bleak. Right, Naomi said, the chances of you getting married if you come back with me, slim to none. But God, right? But God. So church, I want to urge you in, in this moment right now, I want to urge you in this way. Stay in God's field. Just as Boaz told Ruth, stay here in my field. You'll find refuge here. I'll provide for you here in ways that no one else will. You'll have all that you need if you stay in my field. I especially have in mind our college and and younger generations here, 20s, 30-year-olds. It seems to me that... um, There's a a discontent, discontentedness that sort of settles in and you're constantly looking for greener grass, constantly thinking, I should I should go there and be better there. And I want to encourage you. Stay a while. Put down some roots somewhere. Watch God work in your life. Watch him lift you up. Watch him seat you at a table. Watch him pull you in and make you belong where you really don't belong to give you a place. Watch him completely satisfy you. Stay in God's fields. Um, Let me speak to the married couple that are struggling, that are floundering right now. You're having a hard time and, and maybe you're beginning to think that there's greener grass somewhere else. Stay in God's field. Like marriage is hard. Amen, married people? But it's glorious. It's beautiful. Stay in God's field. Stay with it. Teenagers, um, that, that boy, he's not going to fulfill you. That girl's not going to make you whole. Stay in God's field. Let him be your refuge. Maybe, maybe today you're at the end of your rope, like you're in a tough spot and you just feel like, You know, you had a hard time even singing the songs we were singing earlier because you just don't know that they're true. 
And I would just say to you, stay in the field. Keep on doing the right thing one step after another. Stay in God's field. And what what did Boaz tell Ruth? Stay close to my people. Stay close to the other women. Stay close to God's people. You're, You're brought in to belong. God wants you to be safe and secure, provided for. And how does he... How does God work that? Well, he, he works that by putting you with some people that you'll be committed to and they'll be committed to you. So we're on this journey together. You're not here alone. I think about Ruth being pulled in, seated at a table she didn't belong to and brought in to be with these other women to work the field. Like she's stay close to his people. Stay close to the church. All right. You can't help but notice how Ruth responds to this, how she responds to Boaz's kindness. Well, she falls on her face and she cries out to him, why? Why would you be so kind to me? You've shown me such favor. Why would you be? Why would you be so kind to me? I mean, she went into the field hoping to find favor, but had no expectation of this kind of favor. And yet she's totally succeeded. Right. She has achieved her goal. When Boaz comes to her and shows her such grace. Ruth doesn't say, well, I'm glad you noticed how hard a worker I am. And, uh, you know, I was top of my class back in Moab. (laughs) And um, I would really like to be considered for the head reaper job. Next time that comes available, put my name in the hat. Thank you, Mr. Ruth or Mr. Boaz. Appreciate it. She doesn't respond that way. She responds in the way that she does because she knows that this is an incredible act of mercy. It's undeserved kindness, unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. This is a display of incredible mercy. And so um, truth number three about the Lord is this. God gives incredible mercy to the humble. Incredible mercy to the humble. Ruth knew who she was, right? In verse 10, she said, why have I found such favor in your eyes since I'm a foreigner? I'm not from here. Again, in verse 13, she acknowledges his comforting words, his kindness. And she says, I'm not even one of your servants. Why would you treat me this way? The reason she responds like that is she knows she doesn't deserve it. She says, I'm actually from a place everyone despises. I'm of a people that everybody hates. Why are you treating me like this? I don't belong here. Ruth says, you have no obligation to care for me. Nobody would even notice if you were to shun me and send me away. Nobody would notice. But there are no outsiders in God's family. The foreigner is welcomed in, is lifted up. The lowly are lifted up. The foreigner is blessed, even a Moabite woman. And this is shocking, isn't it? And, and, and just a, a, a correlation. I don't know if your mind does this, but mine does. John chapter four, Jesus had a conversation with a woman at the well. And she was shocked also, wasn't she? How is it that you, being a Jewish man, would speak to me, a Samaritan woman? We don't do this, Jesus, right? You're supposed to ignore me, and I'm supposed to think you're snooty. That's how this thing works. And Jesus says, no, I have incredible mercy to offer. You see, Ruth had no standing. She had no standing. The Bible says in chapter two, verse one, that Boaz was a worthy man. Some of your translations, I think it's the King James, says he was a man of standing. Ruth had no standing. She was a woman, which in this culture meant she didn't have position. She's a widowed woman which means she's needy. She's a childless woman, which means she's even more needy. And all of that is amplified because she's a woman of Moab. 
So she's destitute. Like if there is a ladder, she's not even on the first rung of the ladder. Does it make sense? Ruth has zero standing. And here's where we see something beautiful that that with with Boaz, this is not an act of promotion. It is an act of rescue. And so it is for anyone who comes to Christ. I hope you see that. Like Jesus doesn't just make you a better person. He makes dead people alive. Jesus welcomes the outsider. He gives incredible mercy to the humble. Now there's the catch, and it is a catch. Because the Lord makes it clear in James 4 that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you know that? And Jesus said it this way. He said, I've come for the sick, not for the well. Now, what what could Jesus be meaning by that expression? Is he suggesting that there are actually some people who are not sick with sin? No, of course not. But only some of us are humble enough are broken down enough by our sin to acknowledge our wretched status. That in God's eyes, we, we, we are foreigners. We are not even worthy to be considered servants. We are the lowest of low of low, right? We have no standing. But if you acknowledge your wretched status before Christ, and that he is the only rescue for sinners. Then he will be your refuge. And you will find incredible mercy in Christ. And here we find the last truth that God rescues. Through the kindness of the Redeemer. <coughs> all you really need. I say this all the time, but all you really need is need. Need. Say that with me. All you need is need. Here's what I mean. You must come needy to Jesus. If you don't come to Jesus needy, then you may as well not come at all. God rescues through the kindness of his redeemer. Boaz steps in. He's of the clan of Elimelech. And he begins to give refuge to these widows. He provides for their needs. He protects them from harm. And in verse 20, Naomi says uh, about Boaz, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, if, again, if you write in your Bible, circle that word or underline it or highlight it, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. The word kindness there is the Hebrew word has said, has said. It means his steadfast love, his one way love, his unmerited favor, his unending mercy. The Lord's kindness has said, has not forsaken Naomi, has not forsaken Ruth, has not forsaken the deceased Elimelech or Malon or Kilion. That's what Naomi says. God's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. What does Naomi know? What is she thinking about Boaz? Well, she tells us he is of the clan of Elimelech. He is one of our redeemers. And you should circle or underline that word as well because it is the biggest theme of the book of Ruth. Boaz qualifies to redeem them. He's of Elimelech's clan. And now Naomi begins to get excited. The bitter woman of chapter one is now the blessed woman at the end of chapter two. The Lord is kind to the living and the dead. He hasn't forgotten us. 
He hasn't left us in our destitute state. He has come to meet us. We just so happen to wander into his field and we have found refuge under his kindness. Church, there's hope for you and for me here. Naomi and Ruth have a conversation. Naomi says, uh, you do plan to go back and work with him, right? <laughs> you can hear the mother-in-law in her like the, she's beginning to. We'll get to chapter three and it's fun to watch Naomi plot and plan. She becomes quite the Chuck Wallery, you know, she's putting love connection. Um, but this is where we'll finish for today. But I want to wrap it up with, with this truth. We'll dig into the meaning of a redeemer next time. But here's the truth for us today. It's the Lord's kindness. The New Testament says it's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. Do you know that? Listen. If you're like Naomi and you've been on a journey far from God. And the Lord has, is bringing you home. He's calling you to repent and return. It's his kindness that brings you home. It's his kindness that awakens desire for him again. It's his kindness that lets you see that he is good, even though life has been awful. God is still good. Right? If maybe you're like Ruth and you have been from a destitute land, you have, there's nothing about your life that deserves to, to come to God. And yet God has reached into your world and redeemed and rescued you. It is the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. It is his kindness. We're brought in by the abundant riches of God's mercy. We have no rightful claim to our seat at the table, but he lifts the lowly and says, eat with me, dip your bread in my wine, right? God elevates us by the strong and compassionate word of his redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no standing before God were it not for the shelter of our great Redeemer under whose care we take great refuge. And on Him, we take our stand as the old hymn says, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground, say it, is sinking sand on Christ. He alone has standing and we only have standing if we take refuge in the kindness of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.